0: Last week, we began a five-week series entitled Graced. We dealt with the subject last weekend of sovereign grace, and today we want to deal with the topic of saving grace. And so if you have a copy of the Bible with you, I'd invite you to take it and turn with me to this main passage we're going to focus on today, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 to 10. Ephesians 2. 1 to 10. If you don't have a copy of the Bible with you, and probably even if you do, you'll want to reach inside your worship folder and pull out this message notes. It's got this passage from Ephesians 2 on it, as well as a bunch of other verses that we're going to look at quickly, Uh, and some blanks you can fill in, and some white space that you can use if you so desire. If you do have that passage, though, of Ephesians 2, just keep that there because we're going to keep coming back to it, even though we'll refer to these other passages quickly along the way. Well, let's read it together. I'll read it. You follow Ephesians chapter 2, these great words about saving grace from the Apostle Paul. Here's what he has to say. He says, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. The devil's activity is to get us, whether we're saved or not, to be disobedient to God. That's what he does. He is a deceiver. And he continually seeks to deceive us to be disobedient to God, to convince us that freedom comes from disobeying God rather than obeying him. So verse 3 says, all of us who also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts, like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. You see, all of us, apart from saving grace, are objects of God's wrath. We deserve hell. And that's exactly what we will get apart from saving grace. Now, hell's not a very popular subject these days, but it's taught in the Bible. In fact, if you remove this aspect of hell here, then there really isn't anything to be saved from, is it? See, we are saved from what we by our natures deserve. We deserve hell. We deserve, we are objects of God's wrath. We, we deserve that. But verse 4 says, but. Aren't you glad there's a but there? See, we deserve hell. But God intervenes. And it says, but because of His great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy. Why wouldn't God give us what we deserve? Tells us right there. It's because God loves us. It's because he's rich in his mercy. And verse 5 says he made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. And here's the key phrase of the whole passage right here. Don't miss it. It is by grace that you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and he seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. If you are in Christ this morning, then you are a trophy of God's grace. That when people say, I don't know if God's very gracious, he can pull you off the shelf. He takes the gold medal down and he says, look right here. How could you say I'm not? See, we're, we're the trophies. We express it, his grace. Verse 8, for it is by grace that you have been saved. Through faith. And this not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. Three key phrases from verse 8 I want you to not miss. He says it is by grace, through faith, and not from yourselves. The key phrase that I want you to remember that kind of will be our rallying point around this whole section that I think Paul is saying is this, this. I put it right there in your notes, there at the bottom of this passage, this key phrase. We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Would you say that with me? We are saved by grace alone through faith alone, in Christ alone. And so we're going to talk about saving grace this morning. In particular, Paul's emphasis of saving grace right here in Ephesians chapter 2. But in order to do it, I've kind of built it around three errors that I've kind of picked up from people over time. And maybe you've come in here this morning and you're living with one of these errors in your thinking. I hope you'll see that today. Even if you're not, I know all of us deal with people, work with people, live next to people who live believing one of these errors. And so let's make sure we're clear on this very important topic of saving grace. Here's the first error that many people are believing. It's this, that it's all God's mercy and so everybody is going to be saved. And the reasoning of people who believe this error goes something like this. Well, God's a loving God and He doesn't want to see anybody go to hell. He doesn't want to see anybody be separated from Him for eternity. So, in the end, He'll just forgive everybody's sin. Kind of an ollie-ollie, all-in-free kind of thing. Now, I understand where people are coming from with that because all of those things are true except for the conclusion. You see, God is a loving God. It tells us right there in this passage that that God's rich in mercy, that he, He has great love. He is a loving God. And it is true. The Bible tells us that God doesn't want to see anybody go to hell. But you see, this line of reasoning ignores the fact that God is holy and His Holiness requires that each person's sin be paid for. But you see, because God is a loving God, He made a way for your sin to be paid for. And now the choice is yours. You can either let Jesus' death on the cross be the payment for your sin... Or you can pay for your own sin throughout eternity in hell. You know, deal or no deal, right? And what a great deal it is. In fact, it's almost too great a deal to even believe. Only a loving God would come up with a deal like that. Well, maybe you're here this morning and say, well, man, how how do I get that? How do I get Christ's death to pay? For my sin. It tells us right in verse 8 of Ephesians 2. Where it says, by grace you have been saved. Listen, look at these next two words. Maybe you want to circle them. Through faith. You see, everyone who receives. Everyone who accepts. Everyone who surrenders. Everyone who bows their knee to Jesus through faith, will be saved from the wrath that we all deserve. Everybody's not going to be saved. But anyone who takes God up on His offer and receives through faith what Jesus did for us on the cross will be saved. You see, we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone. In Christ alone. Well, here's the second error. It's kind of the other side of the pendulum. It's this. Well, it's all my good actions that'll save me. In fact, this is what I think most people in our culture believe. If you got in your car and we all drove down to Easton and we stood outside the stores and started interviewing people who came out, you know, if we started asking them, hey, what do you think it takes to be made right with God? What do, you, what do you think needs to be done for you to be sure that you're going to heaven, to be certain that, you know, you've got God's favor? You'd hear a, a, a bunch of answers, but they'd all kind of be like this. Well, you know, if you're a good enough person, you know, if you if you go to church enough, if you do enough good things to help people out. And the mindset is that somehow I'm going to merit, I'm going to deserve my salvation through my efforts to satisfy God. Can I tell you what that is, my friends? That is religion. In fact, what you may want to do is take and write next to error number two. Is just write the word religion. You know, that's the reason why I don't like to talk about true Christianity as religion. Because you see, all religions have this same aspect in common. It's the belief that somehow I can behave my way into being made right with God. And so whether you're talking about Islam or Hinduism, or Buddhism, or Jehovah Witnesses, or Mormonism, or any other religion, the key word is do. That somehow, if I will do enough, I can earn my way into God's favor. But can I tell you, that's where Christianity is radically different. Because in Christianity, the key word isn't do, the key word is Done it's about what jesus has done for us that can make us right with god that jesus having died on the cross did what needed to be done to make me right with god and all i have to do is to simply receive it like a gift in fact that's what it says if you flip your sermon your message notes pages page over Romans chapter 6, verse 23 says this, For the wages of sin is death, but the, what's the word? Yes. The gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. See, when, when someone gives you a gift, you, you have to receive it. That's all you got to do. Isn't that right? You know, but some people say, oh, no, I, I, couldn't, I couldn't take that. You know, I, I, oh, no, thank you, but no thanks. And, you know, I don't have anything to give back to you. You do have to receive it. In fact, that's what it says in the next verse, John chapter 1, verse 12. It says, yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. We simply receive what Jesus has done on our behalf in shedding his blood on the cross for me. Now, I'm going to throw a couple of preacher words at you. Is that okay? Okay. You seem ready for it. Here's the first one. See, at issue here is the efficacy. There's the word. The efficacy of Jesus' blood. Efficacy, the root word, is simply the word effective. See? At issue is this. Is Jesus' blood effective enough to save us? Well, here's what God's Word says, 1 John chapter 1, verse 7. It says, But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And listen to this next part. The blood of Jesus, His Son, purifies us from all sin. Not our good efforts, not us being good people, but the blood of Jesus is what purifies us. You see, the blood of Jesus shed for us on the cross is effective enough to save us from our sins. And that's why Paul says back in Ephesians 2, verse 4, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive With Christ. You see, He made us alive with Christ when Jesus shed His blood for us on the cross. And His blood is effective enough. It's efficacious, effective enough to save us. And that's why Paul goes on. Back in Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9, he says, For it's by grace that you've been saved through faith. And this, not from yourselves. It's the, there the word is again, it's the gift of God. It's not by works. It's not by what you do. It's not by your best efforts. It's not by works so that no one, no one can boast that it's what they did. In fact, in Galatians chapter 3, way through verse 21, Paul's just kind of talking this thought through. And listen to what he says there. He says, for if a law had been given that could impart life, then righteousness would certainly have come by the law. Here's what he's saying. Hey, if God could just give laws, if he could just give works that you could do that would make you righteous, that would make you right with God, then that would have been God's plan. But there wasn't those kinds of laws. There isn't enough laws you can do. In fact, that's what he says in verse 22. He says, but the Scriptures declare that the whole world is a prisoner of sin. So that what was promised being given through faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. You see, we are saved by grace alone through faith alone, in Christ alone. Now, some of you maybe have trouble with this because maybe you've got grown up in certain church persuasions and here's, here, maybe you've heard this. Here's the second preacher word, is meritorious salvation. This idea that somehow we earn, we merit our salvation. <laughs> Friends, can I tell you, that the clear teachings of Scripture is that you could never do enough to earn your salvation, to satisfy a holy God. And that's why God made a way that cost His Son His own life on the cross. Because, you see, only the shed blood of Jesus could be effective enough to pay for our sins. That's why it says in Titus 3, 5 and 6, that he saved us not because of the righteous things that we had done. But because of his mercy, he saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior. And friends, if you've been depending upon the earn-my-way-to-being-right-with-God plan, can I tell you it's an error. And before we finish today, I'm going to give you a chance to pray a prayer, to take God up on his deal of a lifetime, a deal of eternity, to be made right with him through the shed blood of Jesus. But, you know, you don't even have to wait till then. Just do it right now. Do it right now. Call out to God. Tell him, God, I, I don't quite understand it all, but I get this. I can't do it myself. It's what Jesus has done for me. Call out to him right now and take care of that. But, you know, this third error is an error that I see a lot of people hold on to, even Christians, even people who are secure in their salvation. They've taken that step, but still... They have a little problem getting this all the way into their thinking because they live with this third error. Here's what it is it's that my salvation rests on a little of both. I mean, Jesus' death, and certainly some of my efforts. You know, it's like, you know, I get the shed blood of Jesus thing, I get that Jesus died on the cross, I get that that was necessary. Sorry, but, but certainly it must rest a little on my efforts. And so to help us with that, I want to draw your attention, again, back to Ephesians 2, Paul's words. Because there's a word there that he uses two times to make sure we get this. It's the word dead. In verse 1, he says this. He says, as for you, you were dead. Dead in your transgressions and sin. And then later in verse 5, he comes back to it. He says, he made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. See, Paul is saying there, listen, here's our problem, we're dead. He wants to make sure we get it. He emphasizes it. He says it again. Now, when Pastor Brian speaks a lot of times, he always uses these great props And I'm just sick of it. I don't know about you. So I've decided I'm going to trump him with the prop of all times. I've convinced a funeral home to let me have a dead body. And I just need to go over here and I need a couple strong guys who will help. No, I don't have a dead body this morning. Some of you were looking at that door like, I can't believe somebody loaned him a dead body. But let's just say somebody was crazy enough to do that. And we had it here this morning, and we put a chair up here, and a couple strong guys helped me, and, you know, we we brought him out here. Set up, you know, he's just draped across the chair, dead body. Now, here's my question. What can that dead guy do to remedy any problem that he has? you know what the answer is? Not a darn thing. That's right. Nothing. Because he's dead. You'd say, hey, hey, buddy, your hair's mussed up. You know what? He's not going to be bringing his fingers through his hair. He can't do that because he's dead. You say, hey, your your shoes untied. In in my imagination, the, the dead guy's wearing shoes. I don't know if he wasn't yours, but He's wearing shoes and one of them's untied. You know what? He's not bending down and taking the rabbit through the hole, and you know he can't. Because he's dead. He said, "Hey,, there, there's a smudge on the side of your face. He's not going to be reaching up with his hand and wiping it off. He, it's impossible for him to do because he's dead. Name any problem. There's nothing he can do to remedy it because he's dead. And the point that Paul makes to us is that this problem that stands between us and a holy God, you know what we can do about it? Nothing! Because we're dead. John Piper, one of the popular theologians of our day, has written on this, and and, and here's what John Piper says. He says, I think the problem with many of us is we see that this problem that exists between us and a holy God is kind of like we're in the doghouse with God. You know that that phrase when there's a little problem between you and someone else, you're in their doghouse, you know, that kind of thing? He says the problem is that most of us see this problem between us and God is just this little problem. We're in God's doghouse. It's just a little thing we just need to kind of work out with Him. But he says, that's not what the Bible teaches. What the Bible teaches is not that we're in God's doghouse. It's that we're in the morgue. We are dead. There's nothing we can do to take care of this problem. In fact, listen to what Charles Hodge has to say. He says, you are not only saved by faith in opposition to works, but the very faith is not of yourself. It's the gift of God. You see, we are so helpless in this situation that we can't even take credit for the faith to believe. God gives us that as well. Charles Spurgeon, who is kind of the Billy Graham of his era, has this to say. He says, "'I ask any saved man to look back upon his own conversion,' And explain how it came about. You turned to Christ and believed on his name. These were your own acts and deeds. But what caused you thus to turn? Do you attribute this singular renewal to the existence of something better in you than has been yet discovered in your unconverted neighbor? No. You confess that you might have been what he is now if it had not been that there was a potent something which touched the spring of your will, enlightened your understanding, and guided you to the foot of the cross. It's all him. Glory to God. Spurgeon goes on in another place. He says this. When I was coming to Christ, I thought I was doing it all myself. And though I sought the Lord earnestly, I had no idea the Lord was seeking me. I do not think the young convert is at first aware of this. I can recall the very first day and hour when first I received those truths in my soul. When they were, as John Bunyan says, burnt into my heart as with a hot iron. And I can recollect how I felt that I had grown on a sudden from a babe into a man. That That I had made progress in scriptural knowledge through having found once for all that the clue to the truth of God. One weeknight when I was sitting in the house of God, I was not thinking much about the preacher's sermon. Maybe like some of you this morning, I don't know. I said I wasn't thinking much about the preacher's sermon, but the thought struck me. How did you come to be a Christian? Well, I sought the Lord. But how did you come to seek the Lord? And the truth flashed across my mind in a moment. I should not have sought Him unless there had been some previous influence in my mind to make me seek Him. I prayed, thought I But when I asked myself, well, how came I to pray? I was induced to pray by reading the scriptures. Well, how came I to read the scriptures? I did read them, but what led me to do so? Then in a moment, I saw that God was at the bottom of it all and that he was the author of my faith. And so the whole doctrine of grace opened up to me. And from that doctrine, I've not departed to this day. And I, dec- and, and I desire to make this my constant confession, I ascribe my change wholly to God. You see, we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Well, it's a great truth, isn't it? And so maybe the thought is, well, well, what kind of response do you have to a teaching like this? Well, I think there's only two. The first response is if you're here today and you know Jesus as your Savior, you've come to that place at some time in the past where you've bowed your knee to him, when you received the deal of eternity and asked Jesus to pay for your sin because of his shed blood on the cross, then I think the only response for us is to worship. Don't you think? You know, if God did not do another thing for you for the rest of your life, didn't give you health, didn't supply needs for you, didn't take care of your family. If God didn't do another thing for you, then what Jesus did for you on the cross in paying for your sins so that you could know him as your savior would be enough reason to pay him to your or to praise him to worship him to your very last breath. It's true. We need to worship. But what if you're here this morning and maybe you haven't taken that step? you haven't received what Jesus did for you on the cross to be your Savior, then I think the only response is to do it now. Don't think about it. Don't put it off. Don't consider it. Do it now. In fact, that's what the Scriptures say, 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 2, it says this, I tell you, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. Hebrews chapter 2 verse 3 says, How shall we escape if we ignore such a great salvation? What a great salvation it is, saving grace. I hope that if you were the one leaving Easton, one of those stores today, and somebody were to say to you, Hey, how, how do you know? What are you depending on to make you right with God? I hope that you would respond by saying, you know what? I'm depending upon grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And my confidence rests on that. And if that's true for you this morning, then here's the last blank for you. Then... You could fill in your name tag this way. Hello, my name is saved. I hope that's true for you this morning. Well, let's pray together. Would you bow your heads with me? And just as I promised, I want to give you an opportunity to take that step if you haven't done so. Let's, let's all have our eyes closed. Let's all have our heads bowed. We're not, no one's looking around. But I just want to let you know, friends, it is as easy as ABC. It really is. A, you need to admit that you're a sinner, that your actions don't measure up to that of a holy God. You see, if you don't think there's a problem, then you're not in a position to be saved from anything. You have to admit that you're a sinner, that you fall short of God's standards. Then B. You need to believe that Jesus died on the cross to pay for your sins right now. Tell him that. Say, Jesus, I don't know that I, I get it all. I don't know that I understand it all, but I understand you died to pay for my sin. I get that. I believe it. I, 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 I want it. And then C, you need to call out to him to be your Savior, to be your Lord. Ask him to come into your life to take over, to be your Savior, to be your Lord. Do it right now. God, I want to pray for for the person who maybe right now is in the midst of that. Maybe they walked in here believing one of these errors, but... Through your Holy Spirit, you made it clear to them. They, they, the light came on. They, they connected the dots. The Holy Spirit made it real in them, brought it about, and now you're giving them the faith to believe, God. I pray that you will give them the confidence to know that something of eternal consequence is taking place this very minute, that their sins are being forgiven, that, that they are becoming a child of God right with you, Not because of their actions, but because what you did, Jesus, for them on the cross. And Jesus, for those of us who've taken that step before, I would just pray that as we sing these next couple of songs, you'll receive our worship. What a great salvation. Thank you, Jesus. If we were to stay here and sing till we we were hoarse, it it would just be a drop in the bucket. Thank you, Jesus. I pray it in your name and for your glory.